the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is Attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, broadcasting from my office in San Jose, California. Um, I want to let you all know that um, my next estate planning workshop is coming up in a couple weeks now. It'll actually be February 12th from 9 a.m. till about 10.30 a.m., And that's going to be at the Silicon Valley Business Center, which is on Camden Avenue in San Jose. Uh, I only have right now 40 spaces available for this workshop. And uh, last time I checked, there's 27 tickets that have already been claimed for the workshop. So uh, we're about two-thirds of the way there. If you'd like to come to that workshop you should probably go to eventbrite.com, search for living, uh, search for estate planning workshop on February 12th, or go to my website at lawbob, lawbob.com, and go to the uh, link that says uh, seminars and workshops, and you'll then fi- get a description of the workshop, and you'll be able to click on a button that actually takes you to Eventbrite so you can register. You can register more than one person per registration. You can get multiple tickets. So if you're coming with a significant other, spouse, family friend, uh, if you're bringing your adult children with you, uh, this is not for kids, so this is not for uh, don't bring your young children with you. There's no accommodations for them there. Uh, Masks are required for this workshop following the uh, Santa Clara County protocols. And um, it should be a, a, a good, valuable time for anyone who comes. I had two of these workshops back in 2021, towards the end of the year. They were both well-received. And I would like to sell out this particular workshop. Speaking of sell, it's actually free. So you don't need to worry about um, you, you don't actually need to worry about uh, it costing anything. It will be free. And uh, I just wanted to, to let you uh, make sure you understand that it will be free and you can register. So please, um, if you want to come, I'd urge you to register now before the tickets run out. And I will say, though, that if they run out, Uh, too soon and there's more demand, 
I may expand because I can actually add a few more seats in the room without too much trouble. But don't rely on that. Uh, if you just want to stop by, uh, you can drop by. And if there's space available, I can let you come in. But don't rely on that. Best thing is to actually make a reservation. Now, I am uh, available to take calls on the air today for anyone who would actually like to um, uh, like to ask me a question on the air about estate planning. The number is 800-516-1220. That's 1220, like the, um, the call numbers for KDOW. 800-516-1220. Um, I do have my... Uh, my board engineer standing by to take any calls that come in, and he will let me know if anyone calls. But uh, since no one is on the air right now wanting to speak with me, I'm going to go and shift into my usual format for the show, which is to go through questions and comments from around the state of California. Uh, questions on estate planning issues that uh, actual people here in California are going through right now as I'm speaking. Now, I'm not advising them. Um, one or more of them might be listening on the radio today, and they may recognize their situation, in which case it's kind of general advice to them. But uh, understand, anything I say on this show is not specific legal advice for anybody listening. Um, if... If you think you have a situation um, that you're facing where you might need some assistance, then you really need to consult with an attorney. Now, I've been informed that I do have a caller, Brendan from San from San Ru San Rafael. We'll find out. Why don't you Why don't you put Brendan through? Hello, is this Brendan? Uh, yes, thanks for taking my call. Yes, uh, you're on the air. Uh, what what city are you from? San Rafael, California. San Rafael. Okay, so yeah. Marin County then. So my right. question is, does the beneficiary designation uh, supersede a trust designation? Ooh, that's an excellent question. And and I wish I could say that there was a crystal clear answer to that. Um, one of the things I would ask is, was the beneficiary... So l l let's set the stage here. There's a bank account at ABC Bank. It's titled in the name of the trust, or it's identified as an asset of the trust in a schedule of assets. What are we talking about there? Yes, it is identified. It's identified in the trust as and a trust asset. It's actually a Roth IRA, which I've heard shouldn't be in a trust, but Okay. Okay, a Roth IRA is a whole that now that's a whole different ballgame. Uh, first of all, you cannot transfer any kind of retirement plan to the ownership of of a living trust. If you do that, if you actually do the paperwork and say, I want this account in my trust, that triggers a 100% distribution of the retirement plan. Because a retirement plan has to be 
owned by an individual. It cannot be owned by a trust. So uh, if we're talking a Roth IRA, the only thing it could really have is a beneficiary designation on it, uh, a pay-on-death beneficiary, if you will, which could be an individual. It could be a trust. But if someone created a trust and set in a schedule, and I'm including my Roth IRA as a trust asset, that doesn't really work. Uh, I mean, what I will do is I will identify retirement plans in a schedule of assets, but indicate that they are retirement plans, not trust assets, but they might end up being paid to the trust if there is a failure of beneficiaries. Uh, Does that kind of answer that for you, Brendan? Uh, Yes, it does. And I would, at this point, I think I should get the IRA out of the trust. Uh, Well, if it was already transferred in, if that was done, it might be too late. Um, If it was done like last year, you're probably going to get a a 1099 RET from the IRA company. Now, if you want to stay on, uh, we're going to a, a hard break right now. If you want to stay on to talk more, just let my engineer know. In the meantime, um, we're coming up on the first break of the show today. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and we'll continue perhaps with Brendan after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. And welcome back. Uh, So before the break, I was talking with Brendan about, um, I guess, a Roth IRA that he apparently had transferred into his living trust. And what I explained was that if you transfer a retirement plan into the ownership of your trust, that triggers a 100% distribution of everything that's in that retirement plan because an IRA, a Roth or other IRA, 401k plan, anything like that, that is actually a retirement plan that has what we call qualified funds in it, you have to keep that in your individual name. You can't put it in the name of your trust. And, uh, and, and the kind of corollary to that is if you realize, as apparently he did, that he had done that and now he wants to put it back into the Roth IRA, well, you can't really do that. Um, if you empty out a retirement plan, either intentionally or by accident, and this would be by accident we're talking about here, then it's kind of like squeezing the toothpaste out of a tube. Uh, you can't really put the toothpaste back into the toothpaste tube. First, you've squeezed it and it's all crumpled up. But the other thing is you just can't do that. Um, there's no real way to put it back in the tube and get it all back in there and say, oops, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Can you please forget that I took it out and we'll just put it back in and just have it be an IRA or a Roth IRA again? That really won't work. So unfortunately, if he 
if he did that, if he actually transferred the ownership of his Roth IRA to his trust last year, he is going to get a 1099 RET for retirement plan from whoever was handling that Roth IRA for him. And it will tell him that he took a 100% distribution from his Roth IRA. Now, um, the good news is because it's a Roth IRA, the distributions from the Roth IRA are not subject to income tax. But the bad news is he's lost the ability of the the investments that he was in to continue growing the value of that Roth IRA on a tax-free basis. Now he will have the money in hand, and now he has to go and invest it somewhere. And investments that earn interest or dividends means that now that interest and dividends will be taxable instead of being reinvested inside the Roth IRA uh, and still able to be taken out in the future tax-free. So um, retirement plan planning in estate planning is very complicated, and there's some things that can be done. Uh, There's a lot less that can be done than used to be because Congress passed a law a couple years back called the SECURE Act, uh, which really started messing with retirement plans in terms of uh, the inheritance of retirement plans by um, by children and grandchildren and others like that. But in a case like this, um, hopefully this was not something that was advised by an attorney because if the attorney advise, advised Brendan to do this, the attorney has probably committed malpractice and could end up being liable for that advice because it would be very bad advice. If it was do-it-yourself and he just did that on his own, well, unfortunately, it highlights what some of the drawbacks of trying to do estate planning on your own without assistance from a qualified professional such as myself, uh, what kind of adverse consequences can come by doing it on your own. So um, that, I think, it was a good call. It enabled me, uh, as you can hear here, to highlight some of the actual issues involved with, um, with a situation like that. So moving on to um, some questions and comments from around the state. Here we go. Um, my father's trust said that my brother can live in his house if he chooses, as long as he pays all maintenance, insurance, taxes, and mortgage payments. Now my brother is renting the house to strangers, and I don't think that's allowed. It doesn't say anything about renting being allowed. He isn't living there, so the house should be part of the trust. Okay, what that suggests to me is the the parent said in the trust, you can live in my house as long as you want, as long as you pay for maintenance, insurance, taxes, and mortgage payments. But on your death, and it should say, or if you move or you're no longer occupying it, now the house 
is divided between all of my children and maybe even is to be sold and the proceeds divided. So this person is probably correct. You'd have to look at the actual trust document to see literally what language is used in there because for any question like this, you always start with the actual legal document, not what somebody thinks it says, not what someone remembers they think it says, but what it actually says. And and if it is, and depending on what it says, maybe the brother can rent the property out as long as he's paying for all those things, but it probably is not the case, and that probably was not the intention of the parent that uh, the child just kind of uh, be able to use the property any way they want. Okay, so here's another one. Grantors of a living trust have died. The next in line is their daughter. I'm not sure what the next in line is. Then the beneficiaries are listed as three grandchildren. If the daughter sells the home, are the beneficiaries also entitled to proceeds from the home or just the daughter? Well, it's not really clear to me what is being said here. If they're saying that the property goes to the daughter, otherwise to the grandchildren if the daughter was deceased, then if the daughter sells the home, it all goes. the proceeds all go to the daughter. If, however, it says the beneficiaries are the three grandchildren and the daughter just put in charge of things, then if the daughter sells the home, then the grandchildren are entitled to the proceeds from the sale of the home, not the daughter. So again, looking at the actual trust itself, I would be able to give a much more definitive answer as to just who's supposed to get the proceeds from the sale. So we're coming up on the mid-show break shortly here. Uh, I want to let you know you can call if you'd like, if you want to ask me something on the air, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Barring anybody calling, I'll finish out the show today with more questions and comments. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. I'll see you on the other side of the mid-show break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. So we're in the second half of the show today, and I'm going to move on with some more questions and comments. Uh, This is a question that comes out of Ontario, California, Southern California. And let's see, the person said, my sister and I would like to know how to go about the process of finding out if my now deceased father left a will. My mother, who has my father's pension and retirement, is estranged from us and would not let us know if a will existed or let us know if she created a trust. We have my father's death certificate, but we're not sure if this is needed. I would greatly appreciate any sort of help. Not sure if I need an attorney to do this. Well, let's start first by saying if someone creates a will and then dies here in California, there is a legal requirement that whoever is holding on to the original of that will must file that original will in the county 
where the person who died was resident. Uh, it's what's called lodging the will. And they have to file that so that it's now in the court, in the probate court of that county, so that anyone who may have a question um, or, or want to be able to see that will or challenge it or, or do something with that will, that uh, they actually can have access to the will and see what the will says. Uh, we don't really do the reading of the will thing, which was something that uh, you see more in movies uh, than anything else. Instead, it would get filed with the court, depending on whether their father owned things just with their mother, or if he had anything separate, or if he had separate wishes to leave his share of property to the extent possible uh, to his children, that would be in his will. So for these people, I would say start first by going online and searching the court filing records for the uh, court, superior court in the county where your father lived. Look and see, search under his name and see uh, if there is a notice up there of a will being filed or lodged with the court. Barring that, there's really no way to determine whether or not somebody had a will. Um, there, there's no place where wills are uh, filed before somebody dies. They're filed with the court after somebody dies. But if the person who actually has custody of the will, meaning the person who actually has the physical will in their hand, if they decide not to file it, and you never find out about it, it's as if no will existed. And and there are people who, uh, with, who are perfectly capable of finding somebody's will, not liking what it said, and then destroying the will. Um, this is a reason why, um, why you want to have estate planning documents prepared by an attorney because... Typically, an attorney will have copies of everything uh, so that if someone takes the original and destroys it, uh, there still is a copy in the attorney's records, and it might be um, demonstrated. There may be a way to demonstrate that whoever had custody of the will actually destroyed it, uh, which is considered criminal activity. But there's no other way to really find out uh, whether somebody had a will or not, unless whoever is holding on to it files it with the court or lets people know, I have the will. Okay. My sibling and I are co-trustees and co-beneficiaries of our mother's trust. Our mother passed away and left a house in her trust to go to the two of us. My sibling wants to buy out my portion of the house and have the grantee transferred to him. Uh, can the sibling buy out in cash? Will the sibling need to get a trust loan? And uh, how would this be handled uh, for like taxes and stuff like that? If he buys me out and keeps the home, do I end up having taxable income? Well, this is an excellent question. And it actually has 
a fairly involved answer. So let's see if I can address that. First of all, if mom left the house and also left other assets equivalent in value to uh, half of the value of the house, for example, if the house is valued at a million dollars and there's a, a half a million dollars of other assets so that the interests of both parties are uh, $750,000, there might be, a, actually, take it back, if there is equivalent value uh, in the estate so that one of the children could get the house and the other child could get the equivalent value of the house in other assets, well, then they can do what's called a non-prorata distribution, meaning they don't have to divide everything up equally. Instead, one can take the house and one can take bank accounts, brokerage accounts, things like that. If the only thing left is the house, if one of them, one sibling buys out the other one, that would automatically trigger a reassessment of half of the value of the house. So if the person who wants to buy the house from mom's trust wants to live in it as their residence in order to take advantage of Proposition 19 and keep the property taxes as low as legally possible, buying out the other sibling will trigger an automatic reassessment of the half of the house that was purchased. To avoid that, you would need to have the trust apply for a loan on the house to generate sufficient cash to be given to the sibling that wants to be bought out so that they get cash instead of an interest in the house. If it's done that way, most counties recognize that as not being a transfer of the property between siblings, but instead a 100% transfer from the parent to the child with the other child getting cash. Now, that means that the house would be transferred with a loan against it, and then the uh, then that loan should probably be refinanced out because those kinds of loans are typically called hard money loans. They have higher interest. They may have higher points to be paid to get the loan, and they tend to be very short term. There's lots of investors that will make loans like that secured on a house, knowing that they're just going to be loaning out the money for a short time, and then they'll get paid back right away. It's a way to do it. It's an expensive way to do it, but it's a way to do it without triggering a reassessment of the property taxes. Um, this is not something that you would try on your own. You need to get together with a competent estate planning attorney that knows how this, this is done and can guide everybody through the process. Someone who also maybe knows lenders that can help out with that process. That would be very, very essential as well. So, um, so that's kind of the longer answer to that question about whether or not you can do, in effect, a buyout of the house by one sibling of the other sibling's interest. Okay, here's out of Yorba Linda. 
Okay, now it's this kind of confusing, so bear with me. It says if a trust names two beneficiaries to each have a house and then says notwithstanding the foregoing, then says each beneficiary gets a 50-50 share. What's the meaning of notwithstanding the foregoing? That's just fancy uh, overwrought legal terms for regardless or of what we just said, ignore what we just said. Okay, so I don't know why it would be in there. If you say each beneficiary is to get a house, why would you turn around and say each beneficiary gets a 50-50 share unless it's referring to 50-50 of everything else other than those two houses, which is probably what this trust says. And I think the, the person is is maybe um, reading the trust and misinterpreting what it says. Okay, this one should be a fairly quick one. person uh, out of Costa Mesa said, I was named trustee of my grandfather's living trust. He and my grandma recently passed away. I don't want the responsibility of being trustee. How do I name a new trustee? The trust only says, if all those named above are unwilling or unable to serve as successor trustee, a new trustee or co-trustee shall be appointed by the court. I could not find anything else written in the trust that details how to name a successor trustee. You know what that means? That means that somebody has to go to court to get another trustee named. That's just the way it is, because that's what it said you have to do. Now, the trust that I draft will give a lot of alternative ways to appoint a successor trustee, like having all of the uh, majority of the income beneficiaries appoint a trustee or letting a trustee who doesn't want to serve or is resigning appoint a new trustee to take over from them. But this sounds like it's probably an older trust, not as sophisticated as a more modern trust. And because of that, that person's going to have to go to court to have a successor trustee take over. So we're coming up on the third break of our show today. When we come back, I'm going to take it home with the final segment. This is attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll take home the final segment after this last break today. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back to the final segment of the show today. You can still call in if you'd like to ask me a question on the air, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. No one having called in at this point, I'm going to go ahead with uh, some more questions and comments from around the state of California. Hopefully there'll be something in here that is of value to you listening, someone out there listening, and will help them maybe make some better decisions. Okay, uh, question, is there a particular form for a trustee to appoint a co-trustee? My wife is co-trustee with her mother of her mother's trust. Um, My mother, let's see, her mother recently passed away, and my wife wants to appoint me as a co-trustee to help navigate resolving the trust. The trust gives her the authority to do so, but how do we do it? Is a simple letter enough? I would probably 
um, do a, a document for these people that identifies the trust, the specific authority granted in the trust, where it's found in the trust, maybe even include the language from the trust, and then have the um, have the wife as trustee sign this document uh, appointing the husband as co-trustee and then have the husband sign as the new co-trustee accepting the appointment as co-trustee and then having that document uh, have both of their signatures notarized. Um, I do something like this occasionally uh, and there's no particular form to use but it should be something that makes it very clear what the authority is to appoint the co-trustee. Then acting with that, they may or may not want to go back to various accounts and things and add the husband on as a co-trustee on the account. They're going to have to take the mother's name off of uh, accounts and real estate and stuff like that. So that might be the best time to actually do that. Uh, an affidavit of change of trustee, for example, for real estate, could identify that the mother has died, uh, but now the the wife is the successor trustee. And in that document, you could also have appointment of co-trustee as additional language and have the wife sign that and the husband uh, countersign as the new trustee. But those are the kinds of things, if you're doing something as tricky as that, that's the kind of thing that should be prepared by an attorney to make sure that it has all of the relevant information that someone would need going forward dealing with the wife and her husband as the trustee. Okay, um, here's someone asks, how can I get access to a trust account? as successor trustee of the trust. Everything my mom owned is being paid to her, uh, her trust. We have a copy of the trust and my sister and I were left as trustees. So how do we access the account? Because the credit union does not know. I thought if we had the trust and her death certificate, we'd be able to go in and transfer all the funds to me and my sister. Uh, everything is split 50-50. Well, the short answer is is the account or accounts at, uh, are the accounts of the credit union owned by the trust or in the mother's individual name? If they're in her individual name, being successor trustees of the trust doesn't automatically mean you have access to those accounts. Uh, now, if the accounts say pay on death to the trust, then walking in with a death certificate and then proof that you are the, the successor trustees, that would work. If it's not payable to the trust, uh, but just listed in the trust as being assets of the trust, then you could take those assets over as um, uh, into the trust with uh, an affidavit of small estate value. If the total value of everything in mom's name or payable to her estate is $166,250. That's a magic number right there that determines whether or not you can do it. Uh, if it's more than that, if mom has a will, uh, you follow the will. 
If it's identified as assets in the trust, like in a schedule of assets, you may very well be able to go to court with a Hegstat petition to have those accounts turned over to the trust. Specifically, whether that would be allowed or not is going to depend on what kind of documentation there is showing the mother's intentions in reference to those accounts. One last one before we're done today. Uh, My mother-in-law suffered a stroke, became incapacitated. She's living in a nursing home and is a recipient of Medi-Cal and Medicare. My father-in-law was appointed conservator of her estate through the court and is planning to transfer their house to a living trust. He'll use a grant deed to transfer ownership. Will Medi-Cal and Medicare stop paying for the nursing home? No. Um, This is actually a good tactic because if the property ends up in a living trust, it cannot be subject to any kind of recovery from the state when the mother-in-law dies and then the father-in-law dies. That's because assets held in a living trust are not subject to recovery when Medi-Cal benefits have been paid out for someone. So that's it for today. I want to remind you all, I do have a workshop coming up February 12th, 9 a.m. You can go to lawbob.com, look for seminars and workshops to register. Until next Friday, this is attorney Bob Bergman. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.